All right. Well, what I want to try to do tonight is is introduce what we're going to be doing uh, on these uh, and these classes and discussions. What I hope uh, happens is that we work our way through the Old Testament. I know that's a long, uh, that's quite a quite a task to put uh, in front of us and. And I'm not in any hurry with this either. So, you know, when I I did this class, uh, and I and I called it "Seeing Jesus in the Old Testament" back in 2008, and the the teachings are online. Um, I did it at, at that time and um, was able to share, you know, what I was seeing in in uh, in, in different verses and different different scriptures. And uh, but a couple things uh, have made me want to go back and do it again. Uh, one is that. I feel like I have a lot more to say now, and in, 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 a, in, a, in a lot of places that I that I didn't have a whole lot to say before. Some some things will be the same, um, but there's going to be hopefully a lot more detail and uh, more places where some lights have gone off in my heart and shown me uh, a little bit more about uh, about what you know what the Old Testament is really proclaiming and testifying to. The other thing is that I, somewhere in the middle of that class, uh, in, in the middle of the teachings that, that are there listed on the on the uh, website now, I came to realize that I'd be moving to Costa Rica, and so I kind of rushed, especially the last few. I just I didn't even uh, I mean I just rushed through like maybe two or three teachings on the prophets, and then you know went through the Psalms in like a week or two or something. And it was. You know, it was a pretty um, rushed version. It was more or less just trying to give an outline, a point of reference for, for, um, uh, for what you know, for looking at those scriptures and seeing Christ in them and seeing God's eternal purpose in Christ. So anyway, since then, I and then and then I when I, when I moved here, I started this class over here, and for like two and a half years now, I've been doing it every Sunday. Really slow, but with lots of discussion and, and and stuff like that. And so, I have, um, you know, having having, and, and we're only like <laughs> after two and a half years. Uh, I, I trust we'll go faster in English, but uh, and and without as much as you know, I'll, I'll actually get the teaching out first before discussion and stuff. So I think it'll go faster here. But we're only like towards the end of Leviticus after all that time. So. Um, Anyway, I'm not going to be in a hurry this time, and that's not, that's the second thing that I that I'm kind of excited about is just to be able to take my time and share with you guys the things that I think are uh, are there in in the Old Testament and and what is the Old Testament? You know, I was tempted to uh, call this class just old Te- the Old Testament, and and the reason is because it's not. It's not just. I don't want people to think about it as just a class on, like specifically focusing in on types and shadows uh, of Christ or God's eternal purpose in Christ, as though that is one of many subjects that the Old Testament deals with. It's not. It's the only thing the Old Testament deals with. In other words, if you want to study the Old Testament and understand anything that God's trying to show you in the Old Testament, you're going to have to study it and look at it with the heart to see Christ, with the heart to see the spiritual fulfillment and reality of what God is testifying to in Christ. There's nothing else there. I mean, there is history of Israel there, and then you know you could you could study it as like an archaeological book, I guess, if you wanted to dig up some cities. You could study it as a natural history of Israel or ancient kings of the you know the the Middle East or something. I don't know. If you wanted to, you could, but that's not why it's written. That's not why God put it there. The Old Testament is a testimony, a, a proclamation through types and shadows, and I'll talk more about what those are, but um, it's a testimony of, of what God has always seen what God has always wanted, what God has now accomplished by way of the cross, and what now God is working in us who come to live in his Son. That's what's going on in the Old Testament. So, you know, Jesus, there, there's... Uh, I should probably look at my notes so I don't get totally out of order here. Uh, I'm calling the class Jesus in the Old Testament primarily 
to make you know new people especially realize that that's what we'll, we'll be talking about Christ in the Old Testament every single class or not just Christ as we've maybe seen him before but Christ as uh, hopefully more and more seeing him as Christ as God has known him and seen him and purposed all things in him from before the foundation of the world um, but <clears throat> um, I guess uh where to go um the the reason i guess i just to, just to finish what i was saying the reason i i entitled this jesus is in the old testament is kind of to to catch people's attention and say hey that that sounds really interesting but what i'm hoping that everybody realizes as we go through this is that that's why the old testament was written that's why it exists. It has been recorded and preserved by God for a single purpose, to testify of him. And and someone, you know, as we go through it, I think you're going to see, if you haven't seen some of these places already, just, just how immense is this testimony, just how incredibly large and amazingly detailed is this testimony of of Christ and God's purpose and I say Christ and God's purpose in him because they don't it's not it doesn't just talk about Jesus the person it talks about Jesus uh and all that God caused to be reality for a people in Jesus in in Christ um you know, I, I did this analogy. I did. I, I think I, I used it when I introduced this class in 2008. Uh, it's, it, I think it's a pretty decent analogy to try to explain. Uh, I don't remember exactly how it goes, but it, it, I can probably get it out well enough to make sense of it. it it's like this: uh, this person goes to the library, or maybe I said a caterpillar goes to the library. I can't remember, but it doesn't really matter. A person goes to a library, and he's looking. He 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 is looking for a book on caterpillars and the librarian gives him this real thick book on caterpillars you know she says here this is this is all that you ever need to know about about the life of a caterpillar and he goes home and 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 there's only like five or six pages of that book that are about a caterpillar and the rest of the book is about this thing that he didn't know what it was called a butterfly and he's confused because he thought he was getting a book on on a caterpillar and so much of the book has to do with this weird cocoon thing and or a chrysalis, whatever you call it with a caterpillar. And uh, and then this butterfly and all these species of butterflies and stuff. And well, what I'm trying to demonstrate in that little story is that if all we know is the stories of Jesus the Nazarene, when he walked as a man and taught as a man and was rejected and crucified, and if that's all that we know of Christ, then we're not going to see very much of Christ in the Old Testament because uh, there's not a whole lot of scriptures that talk about Jesus the caterpillar. In other words, Jesus the man who came to die, Jesus the Nazarene who walked for 33 years, taught for three and a half years, uh, did miracles for three and a half years. The majority of the Old Testament does not testify of Christ in the form of a, of a man, but rather Christ in his resurrected glory in all that that means. And what does that mean? Well, that means so many things. I mean, it's Christ the king of a kingdom. Christ the life of his body. Christ the bride, bridegroom of a bride. Christ the, uh, the light that fills, the, 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 the sun that dawns and fills up a creation so that people can abide in him. You know, Christ the, and the one who inherit, inherits the father's uh, inheritance. Christ, these are all things that aren't, that aren't there in Matthew, Mark, and Luke very much, and, and to some extent John, uh, because those Gospels are telling the story of Jesus the, if you can permit me to say it like this, Jesus the caterpillar. Jesus he, coming in a body to die, to put to death the old and to bring to life the new in himself. And and 99% of the old Testament is testifying of a Christ that very often we're very unfamiliar with that we know very we know very little about Christ the high priest of a of a of a corporate priesthood Christ 
the king who is being revealed and conquering a land, removing uncircumcised flesh. Christ, I mean, you could just go through Christ the right man after the wrong man has been put away. Christ the... This is what we're going to be doing. This is what we're going to be doing, going through all of this, you know. But what I'm saying is that the majority of the Bible testifies of Christ as resurrection, Christ as light, Christ as king, Christ as priest, Christ as life, Christ as uh, the the mind that governs his body, Christ. I mean, there's all these pictures. And, and, and so much of the time, Christians are just familiar with... Uh, Jesus the Nazarene, telling stories about him, reading stories about him, you know, talking about how cool it was that he did this or that or did this miracle or said this thing and nobody, you know, believed it or how he died on the cross, whatever. All that's true, all of that's real, but there's just not, that's not the, the real focus of the Old Testament. So if you're going to the Old Testament looking for types and shadows of Jesus the Nazarene, well, you'll find some. You'll find Psalm 22. Okay, they pierced his hands and his feet, and you know whatever that whole thing about the cross. You'll find Isaiah 53. You know he died for our transgressions. Was was you know the the, the punishment for ourselves fell upon him. That famous verse. You'll find Isaiah 9. You know, uh, unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. Whatever. You know you'll find. Um, oh, that's what are some other famous ones? Anyway, there, there's there's. Uh, uh, Zechariah, they will look upon him who they have pierced, you know. Um, yeah, let's see here. Uh, the riding into Israel on a donkey, and Jerusalem on a donkey one, you know. That, let's see. The, the, he born of a virgin, there's that one too. You know, there are prophecies and types and shadows of Jesus as, as a man. However, that is not the lion's share of what uh, you're going to find in the Old Testament. Jesus came in a body for 33 years, and he came in a body to die. He came in a body to die so that he could be in the resurrection, all that the Old Testament was pointing to. Okay? And so, that's what we're going to see. Sure, we'll talk about the the, the scriptures that talk about Jesus and Nazarene as well as we get to them, but... But what we're going to find from the in the very beginning and all throughout uh, the the Bible is that so much of it testifies of, of God's spiritual and eternal view of His eternal Son and what comes to be reality in Him by Him through the cross and then in Him as the life as the light as the purpose of his people that are joined to him in resurrection life. Okay? So, um, the next thing I have on my list here to talk about is just the fact that some people, uh, and, and this, this every, every year that goes by as I continue just reading through the Old Testament and seeing the Lord there, this uh, comes to be more and more hard to believe, but there are lots of people out there that don't, don't think that the Old Testament is full of type, types and shadows of Christ, and that um, uh, that that is uh, unthinkable. I mean, really, uh, it's amazing. What it is is, is is is. I'm not trying to be disrespectful or or, um, or condescending. I'm really not. It's just it just testifies to our blindness and our and our ignorance in the way we approach uh, Scripture. Um, the reason I say that is because. Everything in the New Testament, I mean just about everything, in one way or another, is gathering up the pictures and the shadows of the Old Testament and showing them to be fulfilled in Christ. That's what the whole New Testament is. Somehow or another, we miss it. I missed it too. I'm not like saying that I'm different than anyone. For so many years, I totally missed that. And and taught the Bible um, with with no understanding of this. And I don't know how I missed it, but let, let me just run, run through a couple things just to show you how much I missed. Um, Jesus, for instance, as he walks through uh, the land of Israel, is constantly talking, using the images of the Old Testament 
and declaring those things, those very images that God gave us in the Old Testament, Jesus was declaring them to be himself, that he was the substance, the reality, the fulfillment, the thing that those those arrows were always pointing towards. So he, he, when he walked around, he talked about things like the temple. And he didn't even explain to them usually that he was talking about the substance of the temple versus the shadow of the temple. He didn't really go there with them. He just talked about the temple as though there was only one ever, as though there only ever existed one in the mind of God, because there only did. Jesus was always, in the Father's mind, he was always the temple in whom the glory of God fills, and in whom we would come to live. Or we could you could look at it from another perspective, and we are the temple and he fills us. But either way, it's this relationship of union where there is a house, and we dwell together with God. The mountain of God's inheritance that he has chosen for his own, and his own dwelling place where he also plants us. Uh, uh, Exodus fifteen seventeen talks about that. So... Uh, from from God's uh, perspective, there's only ever been one temple. Before he made the natural temple, he was seeing the spiritual reality. So Jesus comes onto the scene thousands of years after the creation of the first natural temple, and he says these, these strange things like, destroy this temple and I'll raise it up in three days. He didn't try to give them any like nice little segue into, I'm talking in spiritual language here, guys. Uh, he just said it. And he let the Spirit of God do the work of revealing it. And, and, uh, and he always did that. He was constantly doing that. He was obviously talking about a new dwelling place that he rose up in three days. In fact, it says right after he said that, that the, the, the authors of the, of the Gospels actually kind of, just in case we miss it, uh, right, the, body, the temple he spoke of was his body. You know? um, but it wasn't just with the temple. He did that with uh, everything. I am the door. What door? Well, the door started in, in Genesis. We'll see this in Genesis chapter 3. God, God kicked them out of Eden and put a cherubim there to guard, with a flaming sword to guard the way, uh, to protect the way back to become like a, a door that had death written all over it back into the tree of life. Uh, then you see the door of the Ark of the Covenant. And then you see the door again in Exodus 12, where they painted blood around the door. Then there's the door of the tabernacle. I mean, the door isn't something... Jesus didn't just whip that word door out of you know his imagination. He was gathering up the doors from the Old Covenant, all the testimony. Jesus, when he, he said things like yeast, beware of the yeast of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And the, and the disciples you know, think about... Um, I think he said that because we forgot to bring bread. And Jesus, I love when Jesus says, why are you talking about not having bread? And uh, that's one of my favorite verses in the Gospels, because Jesus is like, what are you talking about? But um, yeast, well, where does yeast come from? Well, yeast starts to be a really big deal in Exodus chapter 12, 13, 14, and all throughout the... Uh, well, really throughout the priesthood. Yeast begins to represent something. God created a new loaf, absolute, a new creation free from yeast. Yeast it was this nature of sin that actually was alive. You guys know about yeast. You know, you put ye- I don't even know. Yeast is some kind of bacteria or something, right? And you, and you put it in bread and it grows because it's alive. It takes over. It fills. You can't separate the bread from the yeast. It's the, it's the nature of sin. Beware of the yeast of the Pharisees. It spreads. It's alive, you know, and they don't get it. He's talking about the thing that God was seeing before he created yeast as a testimony. And then he's talking about the fulfillment. Uh, worship. Jesus, you know, they, he gave them rules and regulations about worship in, in the Old Covenant. And, and, then, uh, and then he goes up to, the, to the, the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman, and he flushes the entire Old Covenant down the toilet, saying, it no longer matters where you go. It's, forget Jerusalem, forget this mountain, forget that mountain, forget every place and way that I've ever testified of worship before because now worship doesn't have to do with places and things and actions that represent spiritual realities. God is looking for worshipers who worship in spirit and truth. And and in one sentence, he just dismisses thousands of years of pictures. Why? Because God changed his mind? No. Because God fulfilled his mind in his son. 
And so now we come into Christ and we worship Christ in spirit and truth where Christ himself being formed in us is the worship that the Father receives, the fragrance that is pleasing to his nostrils, the the, the sacrifice, the death that works in us, the life that works in us. Christ himself in spirit and truth becomes the reality of that uh, of worship. Or, um, oh, there's so many kingdoms. Jesus says, you know, don't look around you with your natural eyes for the kingdom of God. It's inside of you. You know, he's, he's bringing that kingdom into them by living in him as the king. He is the king reigning in a hostile territory called your soul, taking down strongholds and, 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 and casting down every thought that rises up against the true knowledge of God, Paul says. You know, well, we could go on throughout Jesus' words. And then there's even more clear statements of Jesus where he says, like in John 5, 39, you guys seek, seek the scriptures thinking that in them there is eternal life. But I am the life of which they speak, and you refuse to come to me. All of these are they that testify of me. Which ones? All of them. All of them. In some way or another. In some picture or another. All of them testify of Christ. Luke 24. Jesus is walking with the disciples on the road to Emmaus. And he says, You foolish-hearted, slow-to-believe people. And beginning with Moses, the law, the prophets, and the Psalms, he begins to show them all the things that speak of him. You know? Luke 24 or something or other. Somewhere in there. You can, you can look it up. Well, then you get into the Acts, uh, into Acts, and 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 just over and over again, they reference uh, that the apostles stand up and say, "This is none other than what the laws and the prophets have said," or "This is starting with Samuel and all of the prophets have testified of these days," or they just keep saying stuff like that. I, I counted one time how many times they referenced that, but that's what's going on in, in, in Acts. And not only that, when they go around to the cities uh, in Israel and then also to the Gentiles to first meet with the the Jews in the synagogues in every in every uh, every city in the in the Roman Empire. Um, what were they doing? How were they trying to demonstrate that Jesus was the Christ? Were they just whipping out uh, uh, Isaiah fifty three and that's it? Of course not. They were taking the whole testimony of the Old Testament. I mean, the whole thing from the Law and the Psalms and the Prophets, and the Wisdom literature, the whatever. And laying it before them, and one way after another, after another, after another, laying out how Christ is the fulfillment of all. Remember that one story where Paul it says Paul went uh, went on speaking well beyond midnight, and that guy fell asleep in the window and uh, fell out and died, and then Paul raised him up again. Well, Paul had a lot to say. I mean, he had studied the Old Testament his whole life without seeing Christ as the substance and reality. And when Christ began to be revealed in him as that reality, Paul had a lot of types and shadows to gather up into Christ. He knew his Old Testament. He knew how Christ was the fulfillment of every picture, starting right in Genesis chapter 1, with the increase according to kind, and the light being separated from the darkness, and the, and the water being separated from the land. and the, I mean, all the things that are right there in the very beginning, which we'll talk about. An old creation that points to a new creation. Uh, and he could just go on and on. I think about that time, like, I, I wish I was there... Uh, listening, you know, past midnight to Paul expounding the Old Testament and having it all point to Christ. Wouldn't that have been a fun, a fun sermon? But uh, you know, and then you go into the the, the epistles and uh, the, all the letters of the apostles. Man, if how we don't see that what they were doing there is gathering up types and shadows is beyond me. You take the first epistle, Romans, and and he starts off talking about you know Abraham as a as a type. And his seed as a picture of a spiritual seed, and Abraham is the father of, of faith. And those, you know, he talks about the two different seeds: the natural seed and the, and the spiritual seed. He talks about a covenant based on faith in, with Abraham that corresponds to an eternal spiritual covenant based on faith. He talks about circumcision, the removal of the flesh, the cutting off of the flesh, the shedding of blood as a picture of entrance into the covenant. He brings that into Christ. He talks about Sarah's dead womb. And how the promised seed came out from death, and 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 how how that's a picture of Christ as well. The the seed of life is a is a is a life out from the dead. Um, he talks about Adam. He plainly says in in uh, in 
Romans 5.14 that Adam is a type of Jesus Christ. Uh, he just says it, just like that. You can read it. Uh, uh, Romans 5.14, Adam is a type of him who was to come. And he talks about the kingdom of righteousness as fulfilled in in, in, in uh in Romans 6 and 7, it's all about the kingdom, the, the slavery to one master or slavery to another, slavery to the first or the second. He gets later in Romans 9 into Jacob and Esau as pictures of the first and the second Israel. Um, Israel, my son. I mean, you, you could go through every single book of the New Testament like that. And... Um, and so, it, 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 the more you the more you look through the Old Testament, it just is. It's amazing that somehow uh, you, you even I don't know if you guys have ever bumped into any of these uh, authors, but there's some Christian authors who are like decidedly anti types and shadows. They're like people try to make too much out of these Old Testament stories. What we have here is the history of Israel and this and that, and and uh, and I just want to say what. <laughs> Jesus, that's all Jesus talked about, was the fulfillment of what the prophets had spoken, what the law, you know, he kept going around and saying how, you know, this is going to happen so that the prophets may be fulfilled, you know, and that's, he just kept saying it over and over again, and then you go to Paul, there's some, you know, every, you could go through every book in the New Testament, incidentally, uh, Revelation is, uh, I've heard it said, more than three quarters, a direct quote from the Old Testament. Hebrews is something close to that. You know, Hebrews is the entire, as we've been going through for two years now or whatever, Hebrews is just a perpetual uh, comparison between the shadow and the substance, the type and the, and, and the fulfillment. You know, that's what the whole book is. There's, but there's, there's a few places in the New Testament where uh, the authors of the New Testament just say so plainly that without any room for doubt, how they were understanding the Old Testament. For instance, to get to Galatians chapter 4, and Paul says, okay, remember the story of Sarah and Hagar? And, and, and you can picture his readers going, oh yeah, I've read that. That's about those two ladies that, you know, Abraham, you know, he, uh, he had Sarah, but then he did the thing with Hagar, and, you know, that was a bad, bad decision. Whatever. Paul grabs that story, and what does he do with it? He says, these two women are symbolic of the two covenants. Uh, Galatians chapter 4, somewhere around verse 21, I think. These are symbolic of the two covenants. And then a few verses later, he says, Isaac and Ishmael represent the sons of freedom in the spirit and the sons of slavery to sin and death. The sons of two Jerusalems. The Jerusalem of, uh, from above, who is our mother, Paul says, and the Jerusalem below, with her, who is still in slavery at that time before the destruction of Jerusalem, who is still in slavery to her, with her children, to the law of sin and death, to the, to the law, to the law of Moses and the law of sin and death, because those two things go together. Um, there's other places like Ephesians 5 where Paul talks about Adam and Eve right back in the beginning, Genesis chapter 2 and 3, you know, and he says, God, he said, you know, you think that's a story of uh, Adam falling in love with a beautiful woman in the garden? No, that's a story of Christ and the church. It always has been. God has, he gave you the, and we're going to look at all the ways that that, at least all the ways that I've seen that that points to um, that reality. Christ and the church. You go to Colossians, and he just plainly says, he says, don't don't be enslaved again to the feasts and the food and the drink laws and the Sabbaths and all of those things that were, quote, shadows of the things to come, but the substance is Christ. He says that plainly in Colossians 2. Um, again, the, the entire book of Hebrews, if we were to, to look through it, there's some places that, that are just too... Too obvious to miss. Uh, let me just read a couple here. I'm, I'm just trying to. I'm thinking of people that may be listening to this first teaching for the first time and and aren't convinced, you know, that um, that that's what the Bible's about. I, I'd like to leave. I'd like to, you know, I don't want people that have been around here for a while listening to this. I know you're probably already very well convinced by your own reading of the Bible, but this is a new concept to a lot of people. So look at what it says here in Hebrews. I'm in Hebrews. Hebrews 8, you don't have to turn there, I'll read it to you, but Hebrews 8, 1, it says, <clears throat> uh, it says, for if, if, no, I'll start in Hebrews 8, 4, for if he were on earth, he would not be a priest, since there are priests who offer the gifts according to the law, who serve the copy and shadow of the heavenly things, as Moses was divinely instructed when he was 
uh, about to make the tabernacle, for he said, See that you make all things according to the pattern shown to you on the mountain. A, ca- a pattern. But now he has obtained a more excellent ministry, inasmuch as he is also mediator of a better covenant, which is established on better promises. So what Moses gave them was a picture according to a pattern that he saw on a mountain. A pattern of what? A pattern of the fulfillment. A pattern of the, of the spiritual substance. A pattern of the reality. And that's what we've come to. In, uh, in let's see, chapter 9, verse 9, it talks about the first tabernacle. It says it was symbolic. Uh, for the present time in which both gifts and sacrifices were offered that cannot make him who performed them perfect. Let's see what other verses do I have here. Um, 9.23 talks about it was necessary that the copies of the things in the heavens should be purified with these, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. So we're talking about copies and truly heavenly things. Um, in 10 verse 1, it says, For the law, having a shadow of the good things to come, and not the very image of the things. Uh, so there's another use of that word shadow or copy there. <clears throat> but I have I have other verses here, but I think I've done enough to just at least put before you the reality that the New Testament authors and Jesus Christ himself spoke of the new covenant realities in Christ, God's eternal purpose in Christ, in such a way that they were gathering up, here's another verse we could have quoted, uh, Ephesians 1.10, gathering up all of the pictures, gathering up all of the things that God has made, and showing them to be fulfilled now in Jesus Christ. Spiritual realities now in Christ. Not natural realities future in the earth, which is what our natural mind always wants to jump to. Spiritual realities now in Christ. So, uh, so with all that, that that I've just said, here's, here's the conclusion. Here's like the big... Uh, underlying like uh, foundational premise here that we're basing this whole course on. And that is that the understanding of the Old Testament is the revelation of Jesus Christ. I'm going to say that again. And I want you to think about this tonight when you're laying in bed because this is so true. If you want to understand the Old Testament, the understanding of the Old Testament is the revelation of Jesus Christ. Why is that true? That is true because God, before he did the types and shadows, before he made the tabernacle according to the pattern, before he created the natural creation according to an image, Before anything natural existed, he had the Son in whom he was well pleased. And when he began to create, he created with that Son in view. Okay? You need to go all the way back and realize that before creation, God had the fullness of Christ in view. And that fullness is what he was trying to represent in every single pattern and shadow that he created in the earth. Both in the natural creation and in the creation of Israel, which is a people in covenant. Those are the two big creations in the Old Testament. There's really... We'll talk about this later. The Bible speaks of three creations. I mean, this is the language of the Bible. There's the natural creation. There's the creation of Israel, which is a, a which is a picture of a new creation. And then there's the actual new creation itself, which is a new Israel, a new covenant, and a new creation. You know, it's all which is what's in Christ. But all of the natural created things in the earth and in Israel. I mean, I mean, when I when I say in the earth, I mean light and water and growth and, and all that. And in Israel, I mean things like uh, the tabernacle and the incense and the sacrifices and the feast. Both categories, old creation, old covenant, were 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 made with the substance already in view. And what God was doing was creating the pattern on the earth to testify of what he was going to bring us into. We need to understand that. Therefore, in order to even in order to understand the old covenant, 
We need to see the thing that God was seeing from the beginning. You see? It's like, if I'm... Uh, okay, it's, it's like, I mean, this is bad, but... Um, I'm trying to think of a good analogy. Okay, you can look at a shadow of a giraffe, you know, on the ground. And, and, and you could look... And if you don't see the giraffe, I mean... You can look at the shadow and you can kind of see a few things about it, but who knows what the thing really looks like. I mean, is it because the sun is making the neck look so long and what's up with that, like, those little pokey things on its head and what is that, you know? I don't know. But you don't really understand the shadow. The understanding of the shadow of the giraffe comes when you actually turn and see the substance. Then you understand which parts of the shadow are accurately you know, painting a picture of the, of the substance and which parts have been maybe stretched out by the, by the sun on a wrong angle or by the mixture of a tree inside the shadow with the, you know, whatever. Or you could say, I mean, like I'm a horrible, uh, actually I've never even done it before, but let's just say like a sculptor, okay? I, I sculpt with Play-Doh. And, uh, I, uh, and let's say I want to sculpt my wife. Okay, so so I asked Jesse to hold still, and I like start like sculpting her with Play-Doh. And, and it's hor- It's going to be horrible. It's going to be a, a bad. You know, there's going to be some things that maybe look a little bit like her, but you know, if I handed you that thing and, and you never met my wife, you could be like, "What is that? A turtle?" You know, I mean, I, that's probably what you'd say. And I said, "No, no, no, no. You, you know, you, you, you know." That's not what it is at all. But if you if you turned and looked at Jesse and then looked back at the sculpture, there might be. I mean, maybe if I had a little bit of talent, there might be a few things you'd recognize about the Play-Doh that actually accurately depicts something of Jesse's face or form or something, you know? So why am I saying that? Because God had the substance in view when he laid down the shadow. God had true light in view when he made the sun, the moon, and the stars to govern a natural creation. God had true increase according to a seed in mind when he made the increase according to kind in the natural creation. God had a true Ark of the Covenant, which was a, a Christ himself, the word of God dwelling in a vessel, a corporate vessel, a new creation, in mind when he had... Uh, Moses create make the or the two guys, but working for Moses create the uh, the Ark of the Covenant, and and so I'm going to say it again, and hopefully it'll, it'll it'll stick a little bit more this time. The understanding of the Old Testament is the revelation of Jesus Christ. When you see Him, to the measure that you see Him, you understand the pictures that are pointing to Him, and not only that, but then those pictures begin to help you with your understanding they 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 first of all confirm what what you're seeing they they say oh my goodness this picture here is exactly that happened to me this morning with this really cool picture i'll share another time about love from deuteronomy 16 about the the servant that gets his ear slammed against the door you know with the hole and the it's another story but but it's something I had seen about love. And then all of a sudden, just one verse, and I think it's Deuteronomy 16, just jumped off the page. And I said, oh my goodness, that's exactly, that's a shadow of exactly what I was just seeing about love. How awesome is that? And um, and so, uh, the, 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 the understanding of the old is the revelation of the new. Because when we see Christ, when Christ is revealed in us, then we are seeing the thing that God was seeing when he made the shadows, when he made the pictures, okay? So, that's kind of the, the, the foundational, uh, you can call it a presupposition. I don't think it is a supposition. I think it's just a fact. Um, but but it, it is what we're kind of basing this entire course on. That the reveal, what, what are we here for? Are we, are we gathering together, you know, in this group to, to like decode the Old Testament? Absolutely not. Are we gathering together to try to figure out the hidden meaning of uh, weird stories in the Old Testament? Absolutely not. What are we trying to do? We're trying to experience the revelation of Jesus Christ in our hearts by the Spirit of Truth as the understanding of the Old Testament. And we're going to see together, at least what I'm hoping is, is will happen in these in these times together, is that we're going to see that 
as we talk about these pictures of Christ and the Spirit of God reveals the substance of Christ, then not only do we see Christ and apprehend that for which we've been apprehended and see the spiritual view through the light that God shines in our hearts, but that that understanding also comes to be a full and rich understanding of the testimony that God laid out in order to point to His Son. And, and to me, there's nothing, there's nothing more exciting than that. Because knowing Christ is what you're created for. I mean, that's what Jesus says. Jesus defined eternal life in John 17, verse 3. What is the nature of eternal life? Knowing God and Jesus Christ whom he has sent. And what does the, what does the Old Testament exist for? It exists to, to, to bring us God's view of what he has accomplished in Christ. I mean, that's awesome. Someone, you know, I, I can imagine myself a few years back saying, man, you know what I wish I had? I wish I had a detailed description of how God sees our salvation in Christ. I wish God would just write it all out for me on a piece of paper and I could look at it. Everything, you know, a full perspective of how he sees all that he's given us in Christ. And, 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 you know, a, a voice should go off in our heart that says, that's exactly what he did. That is exactly what he's given you. He has not given you anything less than that. A God-given, Holy Spirit-created description in pictures, in symbols, in figures, in, in living pictures, you know, is what the Old Testament is. Living pictures, not just a, a still picture, but living pictures where things are played out and, 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 and like, a, like a moving testimony, a living testimony of all things that are spirit and truth in Christ. So, uh, man, I'm not going to get through this tonight, but let me, let me try to tackle a little bit of this. This is a question that... I, I, I get uh, a lot from different people, and one I've tried to answer, th you know, throughout the years in different ways. I think it comes into uh, a little more view, uh, a little more clarity every every year. But I'll maybe say some things about this, and then we'll stop for tonight and get into uh, uh, questions or comments or discussion. But um, why is why did God do it this way? Why did God give us types and shadows? That's some, something that. Why, in other words, why didn't He just start with a new covenant? Why didn't He just make everything new in Christ? You know, and just just start off with uh, with that. And 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 um, and I can't uh, I can't give a, a very uh, full answer to that question. I'm not, not even going to try. But I, I can say that more and more it makes sense to me. That um, that he did it that way for for several reasons, and I'm sure there's so many more that I haven't seen. But um, one reason is, and this is the I think this is the analogy, the same analogy I used in 2008 uh, when I when I started this class too. But it's like if you were to give a Pentium microprocessing chip, you know, to to a caveman, he you know uh, a caveman. Receive or even a even a computer. I mean, even a, even like a really fast iMac or something. You you don't you don't if you don't understand what you have, you don't walk in. You don't experience the greatness of it. You know, to know and understand what God has given us, He has given us His given us what, what I call the first, the first covenant, the first creation, the first man, all of which testify of and point to the greatness of what we have. A caveman would have absolutely no idea what he had in his hand if he had a Pentium microprocessor. He, he, uh, he wouldn't know what to do with it. He may, he may, I don't know, who knows what he would use it for, but it wouldn't be to uh, do you know word processing or computer programming. It would be to do something weird. And... And, and that's, in some ways, that's kind of how I see the 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 first, the reason of the first coming before the second, at least from one perspective. Uh, in in the first, God shows us the nature of the problem. He shows us the nature of the solution. He exposes uh, where we're coming from and where we're going. 
He paints perfect pictures of human rebellion, human failure. He paints perfect pictures of divine solutions in Christ through the work of the cross. He he paves a way in our hearts for the coming of the Lord. He doesn't just hand us something we don't understand. He 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 spent a couple thousand years, or however long, more than that, I guess. Because uh, I, I just, I guess it goes back, you know, before before Abraham. You could go back to to Adam and Eve, I guess. He he spends all of natural time testifying of what he is going to do and what he's going to bring us into in Christ. Okay, that's what I believe time was created for. I believe that when the scriptures talk about Christ coming at the fullness of time, it doesn't just mean at an opportune moment or um, or when it seemed like a good idea. The fullness of time, in my opinion, is when time had been filled to its fullness with everything that God wanted to say about His Son and about our experience of living in Him. He filled up time with the testimony. He filled up time and with time and space and events and, and and stories of lives and generations and slaveries and freedoms and captivities and temples and 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 kingdoms and all of that. He filled up time with a testimony, and it was like he's writing a book. Well, he was writing a book, but I mean, it's it's like he was writing down everything he wanted a heart to be able to see about his son. And when he put the final period on the last, uh, the last part of the testimony, which incidentally was John the Baptist. John the Baptist was the final period of the testimony, who got to finish up that whole book, which was the whole book was a testimony. But John the Baptist got to actually be the final period that just stood there and pointed and said, "Behold, the Lamb of God." You know, behold, here he is, right there. That's the, you know, and that's why Jesus says all of the law and the prophets testified until John, but someone greater is here now. You know, among those born of a woman, no one is greater than John. In other words, as far as the Adamic man goes, this is about as good as it gets. But from now on, the least in the kingdom of heaven, the least of the new kind, the least who live in me, by me, in a spiritual, heavenly life, are greater than what Adam could ever produce. All of that testified until John, and John finished the book, and then he said of himself, and and when he said this of himself, I believe he was speaking of the entire testimony, not just his testimony, but the entire testimony, I now must, well, he must increase, and I must decrease. It's time for the testimony to become a reality. It's time for the old to become the new. It's time for the arrow that has been pointing to the sun to, to, to actually become the sun himself. And so, John, I mean, just think about this. The culmination of all of created history, absolutely filled with testimonies of, of what God was going to bring and do and establish and work in you in and through his son Jesus Christ and there he is John the Baptist with his finger out pointed and says there he is there he is and, and, and you know how I know him uh, the father revealed him to me and this because I saw the spirit the, the, the anointing the, the, the fullness of all the, the, all the spiritual reality is right there of everything that we have seen in natural testimony it's right there and uh, and there he was, and there there he was, the great the great I am, the great I, I am what? Well, that's what Jesus starts to say. I'm everything. I'm everything you've ever read about. What, what, what do you mean? I, I'm the way. What way? The way the way into the garden. I'm the way into the blood covered door. I'm the way out of Egypt. I'm the way into the promised land. I'm the way across the desert. I'm the way. What else are you? I'm the bread. What bread? The bread that fell from heaven. I'm the bread. I'm the bread that gives you life. I'm the bread in the tabernacle that, st- that stood there, the bread of life, and, and two, two stacks of six. I'm the bread. What, what else are you? I'm the door. What door? All the doors. Put them all together. I'm them. I'm all the doors you've ever heard about in the Old Covenant. What else are you? I'm the vine. What vine? The vine in Isaiah. The vine in Jeremiah. The vine in uh, 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 Jonah. I'm the vine. 
I'm the vine that you've read about in the Old Testament. What else are you? You know, he just goes through the whole thing. I'm all of it. And John the Baptist is there, you know, for a little while. Going, and the, the, the disciples are jealous, and they say, "Hey, more people are following him than than, than you." And and John says, "Good, he must increase. I'm a, he's the I am. I'm just the guy that stands there and rejoices as he joins himself to his bride." You remember that? I mean, I'm paraphrasing, but that's more or less what he said. So, um, you know. So let me just conclude with this. I'm not even going to get through this part, but uh, the the one of the reasons I think that God did did it in this way, first and then second, old and then new, flesh and then spirit, is because He left us with this. He gave our hearts this incredible testimony and arrow that in every way the whole Bible stands there with its finger pointed, saying, "Behold, the Lamb of God." Paul says in, in uh, what is it, First Corinthians chapter 10, he says, all of these things were written for your admonition. They were examples for us upon whom the end of the age has come. The end of what age? The end of the age of the testimony. The end of the age of the shadow. The end of the age of the old, the first, the natural tabernacle, the natural sacrifices, the natural priesthood, the natural city, the natural land. That all came to a screeching halt and all that was written, Paul says, were written for our admonition and understanding as examples that we can understand. You know, and, and so the testimony is God's view. It's God's view of our salvation in words and pictures and examples. And the revelation of Jesus Christ becomes our experience of it. And let me just maybe conclude with this thought. The revelation of Jesus is always in alignment with the testimony. Not our imaginations about the testimony, which are, which are many and varied. But the revelation of Jesus Christ is always in perfect alignment with God's understanding of what he was testifying to. First he gave us his view, then he gave us his son. First he gave us his perspective of Christ... And then he gave us Christ himself. You see how awesome that is? First he filled up time with stories and kingdoms and wars and, and sacrifices and everything that could possibly point to Christ. And then he gave us the microprocessor and said, enjoy this. Now you can see what it is. Now the Spirit will use this testimony to awaken your heart to see what I've just given you. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. The Spirit of God has been given to us so that we might know what God has freely given to us. That we might know what God has already freely given to us in Christ Jesus. So we go through the Old Testament and the Spirit of God starts causing that testimony to jump off the page and strike our hearts with the reality of what he has given to us in Christ. You know, people say a picture is worth a, th a thousand words. A living type and shadow is worth millions of words. Okay? And that's what God's given. That's one of the reasons, and I'll pick up here next time because it's after, uh, it's, been, it's been about an hour. Um, that, that's one of the reasons I see that God gave us the... Uh, the types and shadows. So let me stop the recording here.